have a Nigerian lady who knows someone that knows someone, and that person is a friend of another. In Nigeria, everybody knows somebody. Memoir of a Nigerian My diary, my friend's discussion, my acquaintance's conversation, all on this table. Follow me, and let's talk. Season 5 is here. I missed you guys so much. Thank you for keeping me on my toes, for listening and doing right by me. This season promises to be one, one of a kind. Everything is coming all out this season. And you know what that means, hmm? This is Memoir of a Niger Girl. My name is Helen. On today's episode, I have with me a brilliant journalist, a content editor. Jerry Rice is with me today, and I am trying not to blow his trumpet because he likes the low-key thingy. And he's here to talk to us about insecurity in Nigeria. Today, you will get answers to those questions in your mind. Why should I come home for Christmas, for example? Those in Dasora often ask this question. And to those of us who even stay in Nigeria, we have we have this very unclear view about the state of the nation. Welcome, Jerry, to the show. Memoir of a Nigerian Um, Jerry, right? Yeah. How are you today? I'm sorry. Okay. So we're talking about insecurity in Nigeria. Yeah. How bad was insecurity problems, um, especially in the IPOB and bandits? How did it affect election in Anambra State? Oh, well, uh, it didn't really affect. The, where it affected people was uh, psychologically because there were so many threats before the election. You know, don't come out. If you come out, uh, we'll attack you. Uh, you know, there were so many threats, actually. So, not like it affected the election, because over 300,000 policemen were deployed to the states. There, were ma- there was massive security, NSCDC, Nigerian military, Nigerian police, you know. All security agencies were represented in the states. The election was quite peaceful. Okay. But the problem was uh, people stayed indoors. Most people stayed indoors. You can imagine an election where you have over 1 million registered voters. By the end of the day, only 300,000 people showed up mm. at the polling police units. So Which is about 15% of the registered voters. What? I said, which is about 15% of the registered voters. Exactly. Yeah, so that, what that tells you is that people are afraid. People are, you know, because of the fear of the unknown, people don't know what to... In fact, one of the experiences I had while I was in Anambra was that some of the hotels had to kick some of us out. Because wow. there were there were WhatsApp messages circulating that any hotel that accommodates people who came for election would be bounced down. So you can imagine a situation whereby you are paid for six nights, and then by the third night, the, the hotel management calls you and says, please, you have to leave because of the WhatsApp message that was circulating. Wow. Uh, the odds, they accepted us, but others were too afraid to, you know, let us stay. The WhatsApp circulation, where did that come from? The other about um, burning hotels? I don't know. Around? It was even strange because even my mom in Lagos got the message and she had to call me. I was... I was actually surprised because I had heard it at the rumor. I dismissed it. But at the time, my mom called me and said she received the WhatsApp uh, broadcast message saying those who came for election at the hotel should all close down. That's what I knew it was serious. Because mm. if my mom in Lagos could get the broadcast, I didn't get the broadcast message. But my mom called me and said she got it. So 
you know. So it shows you the power of propaganda and mm-hmm. the fear that was like in the air during during the election. If if you say that um, you don't think insecurity was a factor during the election, if there was no insecurity yeah. in the first place, do you think people would fear that much to come out to vote? People would fear and they would tell people they would kick um, guests out no, of no, their hotels. I mean by insecurity was that uh, on election day, yeah, it was peaceful. Okay. You know, of course, there have been issues of insecurity, and that's what made people not to come out on election day. What I'm saying is, even with the deployment of security agencies, over 300,000 of them, people were still afraid, which means people don't even trust the Nigerian security agencies enough to protect them on election day. So, yes, in the days leading up to election, there were skirmishes here and there, there were issues of insecurity, but on election day, it was peaceful. But yes, people didn't come out. Because their psychology has been affected by uh, by the past, uh, uh, you know, problems. So yeah. Do you think, or do would you agree or disagree with me that insecurity is a big problem that we are facing in Nigeria at the moment? Well, insecurity is the biggest problem we are facing in the country right now. Uh, in the past, if you fly across Nigeria, you hardly have a plane that is full. But now, for every flight. Hmm. Most planes are full, filled up, and that's because people are avoiding the roads. Uh, a three-hour trip from Lagos, from Abuja to Lokoja, you can get kidnapped by bandits. A two-hour trip from Abuja to Kaduna, you can get kidnapped by bandits. It's that bad now. There are even flights from Abuja to Kaduna. There are flights from Benin into Portakot. There are flights. You know, these were places where you could easily drive down. And you wouldn't bother about being kidnapped. I, I remember when we used to enjoy road travel, but it's, it's no longer the case because the roads are so insecure. You could get kidnapped. You could get, you know, even in your homes. Right. Because you have had people in their homes, people just come into their homes, take them away, take them into the bush, and start, you know, calling their family for ransom. So it's the biggest issue right now in Nigeria. Hmm. I mean, there's no other issue that trumps that. As a journalist who moves around, where do you think is safe in yeah. this country? <laughs> Nowhere is safe. Oh. I stay in the Nigerian capital, Abuja. And I can tell you that even estates have been breached. Hmm. You know, people get kidnapped. I don't know if you heard of our colleague from Vanga newspaper right. who was recently missing. There was also someone Friday Kwebe from Channels TV who was kidnapped too. You know, just I mean, it was just in the evening and he was driving. Somebody, some people just wheeled him and took him away. So it's it doesn't matter where you are. You, I'm sure you also heard of the issue, uh, University of Abuja twice. Right, right. The, the kidnapping the, of uh, university lecturers. Yeah. You know, they went there and kidnapped people. So I don't know. Even in the city center in Abuja, the so-called city center, we have had issues where people were in the fast food, two ladies, some people came there in, in the full glare of the public and picked them. People thought they were probably policemen or DSS, but alas, they were kidnappers. Hmm. So it's that bad. I don't think anywhere is safe. Perhaps Lagos, Lagos is a bit safe because, you know, it's heavily populated. The security challenges there are very different. You don't really hear of kidnapping as much as you do in northern Nigeria, uh, probably is for Lagos. I think well, is traffic robbers, armed robbers, uh, 
Well, we also have this uh, one chance people, they are kidnappers, I guess. One chance, right. uh, yeah, exactly. So, to think Abu not, Abuja really is actually, crazy. yeah, Abuja used to be very safe before, now it's fast becoming the epicenter. What do you think? What yeah. causes this whole insecurity thing in the part of the country? Because now you don't, you can't even differentiate kidnappers. You can't even d- differentiate um, even our police and and all of that. Because sometimes they're not even wearing their uniforms. You can't see any sort of um, identification. How do you? How do we identify these people from these people from the kidnappers and all of that? Well, the truth is, uh, for Abuja, the problem we're having is the fact that. Uh, we are surrounded by states. You know, Abuja borders about five states: Kogi, Kaduna, Ninja, uh, uh, Nasarawa. Did I miss anyone? Yeah, four states actually. Mm-hmm. So, you are having influx of these elements from these neighboring states. For instance, there were reports earlier this year that some of the bandits who have been, you know, chased away from Kaduna because there's this heavy military operation going. Some of them have come to settle in villages close to Abuja, in the outskirts of Abuja, you mm. know. So what is happening is, is if the neighboring states are not safe, the Nigerian capital will not be safe. Right. I mean, Kaduna is the epicenter of banditry in Nigeria. Kogi has had his own fair share of problems. Nasara is also battling with communal clashes and banditry. You know, so all the states that border Abuja have deep security issues. So it's only natural that some of there will be influx of some of these elements into the capital, and of course, uh, it, will, it will affect the, the 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 Nigerian capital. So basically, what what is happening is we have a military operation that is centered on one particular spot. So what happens is. They say Kaduna Abuja is Kaduna Abuja Expressway is not safe. The Nigerian military focuses on um, Kaduna Abuja and trying to flush out the bandits. Now, when you kill some of the bandits, the remnants of them move to other safer places. Hmm. So that's what's happening. So the only way that we can address this issue is when there is a full military operation in all the identified areas, so that even if they are moving from Kaduna to Niger or to Abuja, there's another set of uh, operation that is also taking them out. But if you focus on one place, they move to safer places. So that's what's happening, really. Now we ju- we just heard that the court declared um, bandits terrorists. What do you think about that? Because first well, of all, we have the it. we have the likes of Gumi who thinks that the federal government should compensate bandits and um, and these people. But now that the the federal government didn't even declare them. It's the court who declared them. So what, what do you think about this old banditry and um, the way that... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words. And the way that we have come to somehow accept them and some people would make excuses for them. Well, um, so the thing is, there's a thin line between banditry and terrorism in Nigeria. And the... The issues uh, Sheikh Gumi has been raising, uh, this is the problem. Most of the bandits were actually Fulani headsmen in the past. Some of them were also cattle rustlers. Some of them, the headsmen, were victims of cattle rustling. So this is the thing. Uh, Headsmen are nomadic in nature. They move around easily. 
Now, what has happened over time is the headsmen have become bandits, and over time they've also become terrorists. Hmm. Say, Gumi has a point to some extent, but what he has failed to understand is that those he's fighting for have gone beyond what he thinks they used to be. He's, 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 he's simply saying that the Fulani communities in Nigeria have been marginalized, they've been demonized. Of course, that has happened because most of the bandits are Fulanese. But what he has failed to understand is these guys have gone beyond even banditry. Hmm. They have now embraced terrorism, and that's because they've been infiltrated. So now I have a cow, a wart of that cow, or I have a flock of, uh, you know, uh, cows or whatever. And the, the worth of that cow is three million. And then some some caterers that come and take the cow away. And I know that with probably two fifty thousand or five hundred thousand, I can get an AK forty seven. Hmm. You understand? Then at some point, even uh, tending to cows will not be uh, lucrative or will not even be something I want to do again because I know that with an AK forty seven, I can simply kidnap a, a whole human being keep him in the bush where I'm familiar with and call his relatives and they give me seven million naira or more. Hmm. So that is what has happened over the, over time. Even those who were victims of cattle rustling, former headsmen, have now turned to banditry and to some extent terrorism. Right. See, so that's what's happening really. How, how do you think this would affect 2023 election if things are the way that they are now? Well, what will happen is is uh, we witnessed uh, a bit of it in 2015. Hmm. So many communities will not be able to vote. That's what happened in 2015. I mean, we have a lot of people in Bonu State who were residents in internal displaced persons camp. So when the election was held, they could not vote from their community. They were voting from IDP camps, and some were practically hmm. disenfranchised. So that's what will happen. Uh, we have had issues where bandits have taken over some communities in Sokoto, in Niger. They are even collecting taxes. Wow. So what that means is they won't allow election hold in such places. So a lot of Nigerians will be disenfranchised because uh, we have uh, ragtag armies that, who have taken over communities. So yes, the 2023 elections will be seriously affected by this insecurity issue because many people won't vote. To be to be frank, do you think to be frank, do you think our military do you think they are doing enough? Because this has been going on for years. We used to have Boko Haram and from nowhere there's so many um names that we've we, we got to know this two thousand and twenty from for, uh, about two years ago, three years ago. The bandits, of course, COVID happened. But this bandit seems like a profession now. Some people are just doing it because oh yes i can make so much money from this do you think our military our police and all these forces you think they are doing enough to tackle insecurity in the country well the problem is that the military they are overstretched i mean uh if you look back in the past the nigerian military has never faced internal aggression the nigerian military was best known for peacekeeping you go to liberia go to syria alone you know, go to neighboring African countries to, you know, keep the peace. This is the first time we are having internal aggression of this uh, sort of magnitude. So it's a new phenomenon for them. Also, they are overstretched. We do not have the capacity, the manpower, actually, to tackle this issue. 
And sorry, because we are dealing with fighters from the Sahel region. Many of the bandits, terrorists that are fighting for ISWAP, Boko Haram, and the different uh, groups in the Northeast and Northwest are fighters from the Sahel region. So what has happened is, because these guys are nomadic in nature, they move around, they are, they, they, they are interconnected. There's a way fighters from Libya, from Mali, from Niger, from Chad can come together and fight a particular force. Hmm. So that is what is happening. If you, if you are privileged to see some of the uh, pictures that the Nigerian military has shared, classified pictures actually, you will notice that even some of the fighters are Arab. They are not even black. Hmm. You know. So what that means is that we are we have Maghreb fighters, people from the Maghreb nations who have joined forces with those in Nigeria, Mali, and they move around a lot. They are not stationed in one place. That is why when there's an attack in Borno. The Nigerian military is focused in Bonu, and then the next day there's an attack in Adamawa, and then you go to Adamawa, the next day there's an attack in Yobe. You go to Yobe, the next day there's an attack in Kaduna. These guys are not stationed in one place. They can attack the train today, tomorrow they attack the expressway. Hmm. Next tomorrow they go into a, a residential area. That's how they move. They move with bikes. They move wow. in, uh, and they, 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 they move in difficult terrains, places where the Nigerian military are, they are not familiar with. Do you understand? Yeah. So it's a new phenomenon for the military. They are not used to such things. So that's why they are struggling. Hmm. It's not like they, they don't have the capacity, but it will take them time to understand the kind of people they are, you know, they are engaging. You know. So yes, it's a new phenomenon. We don't have the manpower, we don't have the cap capacity. If if we if we address those issues, manpower, capacity, but most importantly, if we address the issue of weapons, get because most of our military guys use outdated weapons, they use outdated vehicles. Hmm. They, you can imagine when you are fighting the terrorists and you are using light vehicles. It's hmm. not allowed. They're supposed to be using armored tanks, armored vehicles. You know, because when there's a, there's a surprise attacks, you hear. Dozens of uh, soldiers have been killed. It's not supposed to be so. There are vehicles you use, it can minimize the damage if, even if you, you are a victim of an attack. So, do you so, yes, think this would get bad or this would really. get worse? What? Do you think this would get worse? Insecurity would get worse in the country? Uh, it, would, it, would get, it depends on the government of the day. I mean, we have, with what we have seen at the moment, we have a government that is pretty relaxed. I mean, it took over five years for the president to sack the service chiefs, even though they were, they were not performing. You mean, uh, so it shows that uh, we are, in the government of the day is pretty relaxed. Maybe, I don't know why they are, they are they taking are. the issues so lightly. It might also be, you know, religious considerations or ethnic considerations. Mm. You know, but I think the box stops on the table of the president. If the president cannot take decisive actions, it will trickle down to the military. You know, in 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 uh, senior clients, if there's an attack, a monumental attack, the army chief resigned even without the president saying a word. Definitely. But here, you, yeah, you see Nigeria lose hundreds of soldiers, and the army chief is in Abuja smiling to the cameras and. Pretending as if nothing is wrong. So yeah, it's it, it's just it's the government of the day. It boils down to the government of the day. 
well, let's talk about um, negotiating with terrorists. And I think in Nigeria, yeah. we often negotiate with everybody. Do you, do you have a problem with the country ne negotiating with um, terrorists? No, I don't. Um, I mean, uh, we have seen even the U.S. negotiate with terrorists in the past. We have seen Israel negotiate with terrorists in the past. If a uh, U.S. soldier is kidnapped today and the U.S. have to release six terrorist commanders just to get that U.S. soldier back, they will, of course, they will negotiate. Also, people don't know that the negotiation with terrorists in Nigeria I mean, what people call repentant terrorists. Mm. It's not done solely by the Nigerian government. There are international agencies who are involved, you mean United Nations and the rest of them. So it's it's actually a global phenomenon when you negotiate with terrorists, especially if you are negotiating from the weak side. I mean, we have seen where uh, children were kidnapped from schools in northern Nigeria. Uh, anybody who has a conscience knows that, you know, in order not to harm the children, you can negotiate with the terrorists to get the kids back. Right. You know, so yes, there's nothing wrong with negotiation, especially if you are negotiating from the weaker side. Mm -hmm. I, I, but my problem is with it is don't make it uh, irregular stuff. Don't make it uh, like a cash cow where you know for every little thing you now have to negotiate. Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a situation of war, there will always be collateral damages. Uh, it might be human form, it might be property, it might be any other. So let's not let's not just embrace the concept of negotiation at all times. There are times where we need to flush out these guys. There are times where if we are negotiating from the weaker side, yes, if we if we are the weaker uh, side of things, we can go ahead and negotiate. So it's not new to Nigeria. You negotiate when you are on the weaker side. Hmm. The Easterners think that um, the federal government is quite partial with things. You know, we can, they would allow a repentant terrorist, that's the repentant Boko Haram, and then they would ask Nigerians to forgive them. But they are not doing the same thing with the IPOP members that were arrested. What are your thoughts on that one? Uh, well, they, actually, they are two different things okay. because. Uh, so this is the government's position. The terrorists have been brainwashed. So they've been made to understand that the best form of government for Nigeria is an Islamic government. Hmm. So uh, they, the government feels that they are not doing things with their head intact. I mean, they are just trying to impose an Islamic uh, government, uh, you know. But for IPOB, they are secessionists. They are calling for the breakup of Nigeria, right. which in the Nigerian constitution is a treasonable offense. So uh, that's why the government seems to be a bit uh, more aggressive towards IPOP, you know. But then, um, yes, if there are elements of partiality. I mean, the way the government tackles IPOP issues, you know, the way they respond to the issues, the way they try to rope them into so many issues. You can imagine the Attorney General of the Federation saying that IPOB, uh, IPOB members were the ones who burnt the Oba of Lagos Palace during the NSAS protest. And, uh, you know, any, everybody knows that the government sent talks to actually hijack the NSAS protest. So that's uh, total rubbish. So, yes, the government seems to be partial, but then again, you have to understand that IPOB is calling for this disintegration of Nigeria, and it's a treasonable offense. 
the terrorists, the way the government sees it is that they are brainwashed. Mm. If you get them to, you know, understand that, look, you can't impose an Islamic government in Nigeria, you know. Uh, so government is trying to just change their perception of things. Why IPOB is not even thinking, IPOB is saying, look, we don't want to be part of this country anymore. So there are two different things. But yes, the government has been partial many times. You can't rule that away. Let's talk a bit about December. The Easterners are known to always go home, and that's for those who stay in Nigeria, and or come home for those who are abroad. How would insecurity affect yeah. um, affect them this Christmas? Would the Christmas still rush still happen as people are, you know, scared and, and all of that? I think it will still happen, but it will not be as we used to witness in the past. I mean, if you try to book any airline December, especially to the East now, they are all fully booked, whether from Lagos, Abuja, or even abroad. Wow. They, are only f- they are all fully booked. So people will still travel home. It's a culture for most people, really, especially those who grew up in the Southeast. Some of them don't get to travel until the end of the year. So it's like an annual ritual. But the truth is, it will not be as before. Uh, also, we also have is- uh, issues where people will now travel in disguise. I mean, in the past, it was a big deal for you to travel with your latest Jeep hmm. to show off. Uh, some people even go with uh, mobile police officers and like convoy. But now it's very risky because the only people that are attacked in the East now are those on, on, uh, on the convoy or those very big cars. The people who tra- probably travel and uh, travel with these guys probably go with a small car or even go with public transport, Lelo. Hmm. Lelo, uh, Lelo, uh, throughout their duration in the East. But really, it's a culture, it's a, it's a, it's a ritual for many of them. So people will still go, uh, but they will just adhere to the, you know, the latest security measures. I mean, I was in Alhambra for more than a week, and the hotel where I stayed had so many SUVs parked there. And I was asking somebody, I was like, why are so many SUVs parked here? And he said, look, the big boys in the area, politicians have come to park their vehicle this hotel because they are now moving around with Toyota Corolla and Toyota Camry because big, big vehicles attract attention. Hmm. Yeah. But, but is so, it safe to go home right now? to tell their relatives coming back that this is how to you know go about it. You don't need to come home and make a lot of noise. Yeah. From what you have um, seen, heard, uh, because you were, I mean, you were in Anambra and, and I'm sure you went to other part of the Eastern, eastern part of the country. Do you think it's actually safe? Would you advise yeah. your friend or your relative to go to the eastern part of Nigeria right now? Because the news, the the all the media is saying this, and somehow you are saying another now. Because what we no, learned is like safe. it's you know, not safe. You, is, you should be worried for well, yourself. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there are attacks, there are isolated attacks. But you know, when you read these things in the media, it feels like. The whole place is in chaos, mm. you know. Uh, but when you go there, it's a different thing altogether, you know. And it's just like when those days we see here, Medjugorje, Medjugorje, and then I visited Medjugorje, and I even went clubbing in Medjugorje. You can imagine that kind of thing. Okay. Even when the whole, the whole issue was happening and all. So basically what I'm saying is these are isolated attacks. It doesn't mean people are not going about their businesses. It doesn't mean life is... It's just that, you know, it's just a new thing. Like, people are just, okay, there's an attack there today. In fact, you know, the funny thing about this thing is there are some people in Anambra states 
that when attacks happen, they don't get to hear about it. It's that bad. Uh -oh. I mean, you'll be in Oka, for instance, and there's an attack in Ihala. And people in Newi or in Chahabno, they don't hear about the attack. They, they've not heard about the attack. But people in Lagos and Abuja have heard because there's somebody who sent it to a blogger or somebody who witnessed it and then it's... But people in Oninchah have no head. And so when you hear that thing, you think that, oh, the whole place is a chaos. But when you go there, Oninchah is still as lively as it used to be. Newi is still as lively as it used to be. Oka is still very much a very social city. People are moving up and down and all that. But of course, these are isolated attacks. So traveling to the east, yes, you can travel. People, I mean, a lot of people came for the election, journalists, INEC officials, uh, you know, observers, NGOs, CSOs, and everybody has gone back home safely. So it doesn't mean that life is difficult or they kill people every day. These are just isolated issues. So it means the, you know? the media is blowing things out of proportion. Well, the media is not exactly blowing things out of proportion, but when this news comes out, it's it creates fear, it creates panic. And so people, you know, people tend to feel like, oh, this place is not safe. Uh, I can't go to this place. But you'd be surprised when you go there. People are living their lives normally. It's just that people will not take precautions. For instance, uh, I had to change hotels three times when I was in Alhambra. The first hotel I stayed, uh, they had killed nine people. A week before I arrived. Now, when they killed nine people, of course, everybody thought it was oh, IPOP or non government. It was later after investigations were carried out. That was a, a cultist, as in, it was cult related. Hmm. So it was like battle of uh, cult groups. But because there's already a, a violence in the area, you know, there's uh, a, there are freak attacks here and there. Any attack that happened, people say, oh, it must be IPOP or it must be unknown government or whatever. But it happened that that one was court-related. So that's the issue with uh, violence. I, I, For instance, personally, I don't agree with the way IPOP goes about their activities. And this is why I don't agree. If you, if you take on this rhetoric of violence, people will hijack it. So what is happening in the East now? Assassins are on the pro, arm robbers are on the pro, cultists are on the pro, uh, political talks are on the pro. Now, but when they when they struck, people say unknown government, high pop. Now that what is happening is because high pop with their rhetoric has created an atmosphere of violence. So it has given people the opportunity to do whatever they want to do because they know that people will now pin it down on, on high pop. Hmm. Yes, for instance, a former chief judge was killed in Enugu State. He was actually assassinated. But because he was killed on the day where there was a seat at home, people thought it was IPOB who killed him because they were enforcing the seat at home order. Not knowing that he was actually assassinated. You know, that is that is where I blame IPOB. They've created uh, they've created fear, chaos, panic with their rhetorics. So people, other groups, other violent groups are taking advantage of it. These unknown gunmen, are they are they bandits? The unknown gunmen are well we uh what do you call them now? So IPOP is uh, a group that is fighting for Biafra. But over the years, over time, the leader of IPOP created ESN. 
uh, Eastern Security Network. Now, when he created ESN, he said ESN was created to help chase out armed Fulani men from the southeast. That was what he said. And he was all, he was giving updates. He, he would say, oh, you know what? ESN has chased away Fulani men in Eboi, in Enugu, and the rest. But when he was arrested, we now started seeing videos of people claiming they were ESN attacking policemen and police facilities. So, basically, what has happened is, by my own uh, understanding, is ESN were armed mm. to to chase away armed headsmen. But when Kami was uh, was arrested, ESN decided to blackmail the government by attacking security agencies in order to release, for them to release Kano. Now, don't forget that even before Kano was arrested, they were, they were setting attacks on police facilities, police stations, and yeah. the rest. And why these attacks happened? In fact, before these attacks happened, if you follow now the Kano on Radio Biafra, he's always saying, burn them down, attack them, kill them, you know, chase them away. You know, so and I keep saying a man with AK-47 is a madman. He can do and undo. Hmm. You know, even if you tell him kill ten, he can kill twenty. Right. Because the power of the gun is very, very toxic. It's very. He can. He can. He can turn his head. He can spin his head. You know. So what has happened now is this so-called ESN. They have now taken. It has taken a life of its own, or this so-called unknown gunmen. Even IPOP cannot control them again. Hmm. That is why even when IPOP said, no more sit at home, some people were still enforcing sit at home. What that tells you is that when you arm people, before you know it, they become lord unto themselves. They don't, they don't take instructions from you again. You know, that's what happens in Nigerian politics. Before elections, politicians arm huge groups for them to help them win elections. After elections, the the arms and ammunition are not collected. True. And begin to terrorize the ordinary people because they have arms and ammunition at their back and call. So there's nobody to challenge them. So that is what has happened to IPOP. Apparently, IPOP has, has armed ESN. ESN has not taken his life on the own. They don't even listen to IPOP again. You know, they now do whatever they want to do. So because they are armed. So that's I think that is where the problem is. The gun bill in Nigeria now. It, do you think now yeah. now this is a time where Nigerians have to have their own guns to protect themselves? Would this even help with the insecurity in the country? No, I don't think that will help. I think it will that will be a disaster. Uh, we don't need to arm people. I mean, America is already struggling with it. Where in America, where you can walk into a shop and buy a gun, and you can see somebody goes into a school and shoots the old students and teachers. So we don't need that. For me, what I think we need is community policing. Hmm. We need people to police themselves. What I mean is, if you are from Isai in Oyo State, the youth of Isai can be completed into community police to pull because they know the terrain, they know themselves, they know their community members. They, if they see a first-time visitor in Isai, they know that this person is a visitor. 
So I think the best thing we can adopt in Nigeria is community policing. Let us empower people in their communities to police the communities themselves. Because Nigeria does not even have enough policemen. I mean, there are communities in Nigeria that don't have police stations. Hmm. So even when attacks are happening, it takes six hours, ten hours for police to show up. You know? But ideally, every community should have a police station or at least a police post. Hmm. But some sometimes you drive four hours, you don't even see a policeman, especially in northern Nigeria, in hard to reach areas. I mean, some of these attacks you hear in the north, some of them happened three or four days back. But because before the news, we even filter into the town, it takes days, you know. So what we need in Nigeria is community policing. We don't need to harm everybody. If you harm everybody, it's, it's going to be a disaster. People will have arguments in their houses and kill themselves. True. So we, what we need is police, community policing. Let every community, we are even doing it, but in an informal way. There are many areas have vigilantes. True. Some have OPC. Mm. Some have uh, Bakasi boys or whatever. You know. So what we should do is to formalize it. Let, let it be signed into law. Instead of saying vigilante, they should be community policemen. Each community should police themselves. They know the terrain. They know themselves. They know visitors. If they see a new face, they will know. They know the, the their areas very well. They know where to run to. They know where to hide. They know where thieves can pass. All those simple, simple things. The, the, the... Instead of having, I mean, everybody just pass community policing law into bill into law. Community policing, do you think it also includes this Odudua, um I can't remember the name now. Community policing can accommodate everybody. Okay. So far, so far, everybody is coming to contribute their own quota to security. I, I mean, even police, there's an answer to which police can secure you. As a human being, you have to take precautions. You can't sleep now and leave your door open. So the mere fact that you close your door, you're even putting a protector before your door, it means that you are securing yourself. You are taking steps to secure yourself. So the po even the police cannot walk without with the citizens. We need to give them information. Do you know that in certain communities, and I can tell you for free, even in, in the north, in Bornu State, many of the communities know some of the Boko Haram members. They are their brothers, they are their sisters. Hmm. But because of fear, they cannot talk. And they know that if they talk, the police cannot protect them. So they rather keep quiet. Do you understand? Most of these uh, terrorist commanders, they have wives, they have kids, they mix with community members. People know them. Hmm. But because of fear of retribution, they cannot talk. So security is, is everybody's business. You don't leave it to the police. You don't leave it to... That is why estates in Nigeria get vigilante. Some get security men. You know, okay. people yeah. have rules. Okada cannot enter our estate when it's 8 o'clock, you know, and all that. So security is everybody's business. Everybody has to take. So when you say community policing, you are not saying maybe one, one set of people. Everybody is involved. Whether you are Muslim, whether you are Christian, whether you are traditional worshipper, it's just a community effort to secure your own society. That's it's as simple as that. Jerry, thank you very much for being here with me. I mean, there's so many things we do not know. We don't... I, for example, I, I've never been to the northern part of the country before. So hearing all of this, yeah. I mean, it's important that we have this conversation. And I think that me, the media should do more. Uh, we should not blow things out of proportion, of course. And report, yeah. report things the way they are. Although the president already just said that news outlets shouldn't talk about Boko Haram and talk about um, this 
carry certain news, which I don't understand why they would say a thing like that. But anyway, what they are trying to do say is don't uh, give them publicity because they thrive in propaganda. Terrorists thrive in propaganda. They want to create an atmosphere of fear. You know, there was a time that a Nigerian Air Force plane crashed, yeah. and then terrorists videoed themselves on the crash site, giving the impression that they shot down the plane. Oh. Do you understand? That is what terrorists do. They they thrive on propaganda. They create fear. They create. So what they, they are basically saying is, tone down on reporting them. Hmm. You understand? But that can't work because the media also have a, a, a duty, duty to tell the society what's going on. So you can't tell people not to report, report what is going on. Thank you very much. Yeah. We just heard from the us's mouth. Security in Nigeria is everybody's business. We should participate. We should talk about it. And we should. We, we cannot stop. So if you're going home this Christmas, you know, you know what to do. Listen to this. Share with your families. Share with your friends and uh, your enemies. I mean, we don't want our enemies to die. Of course, it's Christmas. Let's enjoy. It is December. Oh, thank you very much, guys. Um, shout out to Jerry. Jerry, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate, man. Oh, don't forget to follow me on social media, Helen.love.23. My name is Helen, and this is Memoir of a Nine Jagger. Stay tuned. See you next week. I am a Nigerian lady who knows someone that knows someone, and that person is a friend of another. In Nigeria, everybody knows somebody. Memoir of a Nigerian My diary, my friend's discussion, my acquaintance's conversation, all on this table. Follow me and let's talk.